Welcome to the EFC Podcast. Good day. This is Jim Beverly, columnist for Faith Today magazine and professor at Tyndale Seminary in Toronto. I'm interviewing Andrew Claven. He was the subject of my most recent Religion Watch column uh, about his uh, memoir, uh, a great is it the great good thing or a great good thing? That's no, a great good thing, actually. Yeah, uh, and so now uh, he's agreed to talk to me from his home in Los Angeles. Andrew, thanks for talking. No, it's a pleasure. It's nice to be here. How long have you? How long did it take you to work on the book in terms of writing and basically getting it out to the world? It was a pretty long process. I wrote a draft of it that I really disliked. I'd never written a nonfiction book before, though I'd written a lot of articles. Um, and I wrote a draft of it first that I didn't like at all and just kind of tossed it away. And then I wrote a, a new version of it in which I just threw in everything I could think of. And when my wife, who is always my first and best editor, when my wife read it, she said to me, half of this is the best book you've ever written. And I said, gee, you know, I'm not sure I, I, can, I can control my ego enough to cut was what was essentially 200 pages of writing. You know, I said, that, that's very hard. But I gave her an editor's pen, and I said, show me where it is, at least. And uh, she spent two weeks kind of outlining the things she thought should be cut, and then I rewrote it, the book, uh, this third time, basically taking her editorial suggestions, um, most of them, not all of them, and, uh, and cut the book back by 200 pages. So uh, it was quite a process. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if the whole thing took over two years. Well, uh, I don't recall that you put a lot of dates in your book. Uh, you put a lot of events, etc. But what what year did you become a Christian? Let's see. It would be uh, twelve. I'm really bad about things like this. That's why I didn't do it. And I was writing. <laughs> I, I I purposely wrote the book from memory because it's about my self exploration after I realized I should be baptized, and I did that from memory. So I wanted to write write it the way I had experienced it. Uh, but it's about 12 years from now, so that would be 2004, yeah. Okay. And h- how long did you think about becoming a Christian? I, uh, when I, from the moment when it came to me, which was a fairly sudden experience that I should be baptized, to when I finished wrestling with the question was about five months. And uh, every day it was... Uh, really some of it quite tormented of going over my life story and making sure I hadn't made any logical mistakes because my faith didn't come to me like a um, like the you know on the road to Damascus like a flash of light it was really a slow accretion of logical conclusions and so I wanted to go over all of them and, and psychoanalyze myself and make sure I hadn't uh, you know just kind of gone astray somewhere that took five months and then from then um, I can't remember exactly, but it was probably it was probably another six months to a year before I actually uh, managed to get baptized because there was there were a lot of logistical problems. But before you were baptized, wouldn't you have called yourself a Christian? I mean, not ten minutes before, but uh, even years before. Uh, I w- not years before. It was the moment. You know, the the thing was, I had I had spent most of my life. Uh, the subtitle of the book is "A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ," and I had spent most of my life as what I will uh, charitably call an agnostic, but really as a practicing atheist. And, and so I came to God first. I came to understand that according to my own logic uh, of, of what I had seen in life, there had to be a God, and I started to pray to God. And, and when, after five years of praying to this kind of nameless God, I realized that these prayers had changed my life, 
I, I basically went before God and said, you know, you have, have done such a beautiful thing in my life, and I don't know how to repay you. I don't know what I'm supposed to do because you're God and I'm nobody. And I, it came to me in a flash, uh, almost as if a voice had spoken into my ear saying, you know, you should be baptized. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> what, what do you mean? You know, I was really taken aback. So until that moment, I would not have called myself a Christian. I was quite surprised because Christianity, I had been through some very emotionally difficult times and even what I would call a bout of really uh, breaking down, going crazy. And during that time, you know, Christianity became a sort of, uh, it, it became a sort of obsession with me. So the thought that I was going back into that time uh, really frightened me, even though I had been very, very sane and very uh, cured for, for many years. So it was, it was really quite a, um, quite a revelation that this is what I believed. I had to go back to the Gospels and read them again and uh, test them against, test where my faith was. And uh, it, it was really quite, quite a startling moment. Uh, would you say, um, I often say to my students, uh, we'll be in a classroom and I'll say, are we in a room? And they'll say yes. And then I'll say, okay, are you sure we're in a room? And then most will say yes, and then I'll say, let's call that 100 out of 100 or 10 out of 10. And then I'll say, uh, how sure you you know that God exists? Or sometimes if people tell me stories about amazing things in their life, I'll say, are you as certain that you, and I'll do this in your case, you're certain we're on the telephone now, right? Right. You're certain you wrote a book, mm-hmm. or several of them. Uh, to those listening, uh, he's a winner of awards for thriller and mystery books, mainly, Andrew, right? Yes, that's right. Um, so how sure are you that you heard the voice of God? Uh, very sure. I mean, I, I, I always say it was almost as if a voice spoke to me. I did not hear a voice speaking into my head. Uh, it was just that the sentence came into my mind fully formed, almost with the power of being audible. Um, and and at the time, I wasn't sure. At the time, I just thought, well, maybe, uh, you know, I tend to rake every decision over the coals anyway, so at the time, I wasn't certain at all. And I thought to myself, well, maybe this is just some kind of weird, obsessive idea that's popped into my mind. But as I went over it, I realized, I'll tell you, I had, had two funny experiences. As I, as I went over it the first time, I realized that it was all true, and it had been something that was spoken to me and something I could not have known unless it had been told to me. So I was quite sure that it had come from without. What was really interesting is when I sat down to write The Great Good Thing, it it suddenly was obvious to me how often God had acted in my life, almost with, uh, you know, almost as if he had walked in the door, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so obvious, and looking back on my life, it was that uh, Kierkegaard experience of understanding your life backwards after having lived it forwards. Uh, I, was, I was absolutely startled at what a lunkhead I had been uh, in missing his presence, because it was so obvious, and it, and it was so overt. Uh, so I'm, I feel pretty certain about it. Okay. Uh, tell the listeners, what would be the Three biggest reasons why, uh, if someone asked you why do you believe in the Christian faith in Jesus, uh, what would you say? 
Well, I always like the C.S. Lewis's line that uh, it, it's like the sun. It's, it's not just that I see it, it's that I see everything else by it. Uh, one of the things that has been true of me since I was a little boy, and this is one of the things I write about in the book, is that I have always insisted that my ideas make sense. I even insisted when I was a kid that my daydreams make sense. I couldn't dream about flying unless I could explain to myself in the daydream why I could fly. And, and one of the things about Christianity is it makes sense of the things that we already know. Uh, we know, we can, we can be talked out of it, but when we think about it, we really know that there is a, a moral truth to the world. We know that a, for a Nazi to torture a child is wrong, even if he lives in a world entirely populated by Nazis. It remains wrong. We know this. We, like I said, some college professor could talk us out of it, but it would still be true. The other thing we know is we, we know that our life is not made of meat. Uh, everyone knows this. You know, he knows that um, he makes decisions. He knows that he is uh, it, it, that he grows spiritually or doesn't grow spiritually. He knows that he is a, an individual. I have heard people, atheists like Sam Harris, say, "Well, this is an illusion," you know. And I always think, an illusion to whom? You know, who is experiencing the illusion? It's, it's like watching a man prove to himself that he doesn't exist. We know we exist. And the final thing we know is that we know that we are not what we are supposed to be. Every one of us knows this, you know. We know that there is something better that we were meant for, and uh, this sometimes comes out in our sense of humor about things, that things that are supposed to be uh, noble and high end up being low and dirty. We know that we do things that we don't want to do, uh, and we don't do things that we do want to do, all these things. And Christianity really makes all of these things make sense. And what we, when we, the things in Christianity that we hesitate to believe, the resurrection, the miracles, and all this, actually illustrate something that we actually do believe, which is that life is not entirely physical, that the physical is merely an expression of spiritual facts. And, and I really do think when you listen carefully to what Jesus was saying and what Jesus was doing, he was saying, I, let me strip away this illusion of materialism for, for the extent of my ministry, and let me show you that all is well, you know, about behind the scenes, there's nothing to worry about, all is well, all manner of things will be well, and, and that is really what he's saying, and we know, and these are things we know, these are the things that we do believe, and so when we hesitate to believe in, say, the resurrection of the miracles, we're really hesitating to believe in things that we, we actually do deep down believe in, more, you know, more present and immediate things. And I think that those are my reasons why I would I would say it just makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, do you doubt often? I try to. Uh, <laughs> you know, I always try to question my beliefs, whether political or religious. Uh, every now and again, I sit down and say to myself, "Am I crazy? You know, did I really?" And I go over it. When I sat down to write the book, one of my little niggling anxieties was, "Am, am I going to hit page 130 and think?" Oh wait, you know that was a mistake. That was a uh, mistake in logic, but it never happened. So you know, as I go on, I, I I realize that I really did build like an attorney. I really built a very solid case. So even though I have moments of uh, of doubt, I think we all have. I can usually go back to the place where the doubt exists and reassure myself through simple reason. Mm -hmm. uh, were you? Did you come close to becoming a Buddhist, or were you a Buddhist? I, I practice Zen, 
which I guess is a branch of Buddhism. Right, right. And, but it, it's a branch of Buddhism without beliefs. Uh, Zen is a practice. It's the practice of sitting still and shutting down your thoughts, uh, which I would recommend to anybody. Uh, Zen meditation is a very powerful tool for concentration and focus, and, and you get a lot of revelations from it, I think, about, about yourself and who you are and what keeps you from focusing. Um, so I think Zen meditation as a, as a tool is a wonderful thing. However, however, there is a kind of underlying understanding in Zen that life is, is a, an illusion, The life we experience is an illusion. And I think that that's exactly wrong. I don't think that life, the life we experience is an illusion. I think it's very, very real, even if it has another form beyond the form that we see. And so I was never, I was never a Buddhist in the sense of these American Buddhists who uh, you know, adop- adopt certain beliefs that they find appealing. I was just a, a, an intense practitioner of Zen, and I, I would recommend it to anybody, even a Christian. Okay. Um, the other thing that I find uh, sort of depressing about Buddhism is um, that the self isn't real. Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, that's and, a really. Yeah. I mean, if it's true, it's true. But boy, it doesn't seem like we're unreal. And if it, it's such a. Well, that's why Buddhism often gets called nihilistic or nihilistic. Well, I think, I, you know, I, I don't think, in fact, there's any possibility of that being true. The self is quite, is quite obviously real, and it doesn't, it doesn't even have a meaning for the self not to be real, because, you know, I, I, I love my wife because I love my wife. We married because we married. We had children. Uh, you know, at what point does that become a fantasy? You know, do my children not exist? Uh, you know, right. does our love not exist? Uh, does, do, if, if. If she doesn't exist, how can I love her? If I don't exist, how can I? You know, it, it just doesn't make sense of out of the experience of life. Right. Um, can you think of any areas as a Christian where you are not, say, evangelical, orthodox, conservative? Yes, I can. And uh, um, and I get hit for this all the time. Is I am a, a very strong believer that when Jesus said, judge not lest he be judged, and don't remove the moat from the other guy's eye before you've removed the plank from your own, that he was giving you very specific instructions on um, how to come closer to him, how to develop a relationship with him, and and those instructions are really helpful and really useful. I do not think at any point in my life that believing in Jesus gives me a license to comment on or control other people's behaviors, uh, their sexuality, their sex lives, their personal lives. I believe that my job as a um, as a as a believer is to you know approach them with love and kindness and offer the joy that I have found if if they're open to it. And I believe that that joy will lead them to certain places that phys- you know living in the flesh will not take them. I believe that, but I don't believe it's for me to tell them, you know, what those places are. And I believe that God knows the, the broken, we're all driving broken cars, and God knows the nature of the broken car they're driving, and I don't. And it, it may well be that their path to Christ is going to take them through uh, lifestyles and actions that, you know, I, I think might not be the best, but it's none of my business. And I think that's between them and God. And I'm very, I very much believe that the 
that certain movements within Christianity, and this is not all of them, and this is not a, I'm not painting with a broad brush, I believe certain movements within without Christianity do everything they can to rationalize away the command to not judge, you know? Right. And, and they say, well, what, you know, what Jesus really meant when he said judge not was he meant judge, you know? Right. <laughs> I just do not believe that's true. I mean, I think that that is, it is a very important facet of the human mind that the minute it stumbles on a truth, that the minute I stumble on a truth about myself, I immediately want to apply it to you. Because if I don't apply it to you, then I have to apply it to myself, and that's a lot harder to do. Mm-hmm. I think we are supposed to be, you know, a step. I do not believe Christianity is a rule-based religion. I believe it is a relationship with the Son of God, and I don't believe it's for me to define that relationship in another man. Uh, did you become Episcopalian? I did, yes. Okay. I mean, now... I have to be honest. I mean, I, I enjoy the liturgy of, uh, of the Episcopal Church. Right. I would say about once a month, and a lot of times I go to a home church that a friend of mine runs. So oh, neat. Yeah. Uh, did you see the review of your book by a Orthodox Jewish rabbi? I'm sorry, uh, you, got, oh, you cut off there for okay. a minute. Could you repeat did that? You, did you see the review of your book by an Orthodox rabbi? I saw. I saw a review of my book by an Orthodox. Uh, Jew who said I wasn't allowed to become a Christian or something like that. Well, the big point I got out of it is he he was sad that you missed your own hometown. Right, right. He wishes you, you know that that uh, idea is flawed in several ways. I mean, I, I I look, I sympathize with that entirely, and uh, I grew up with, among a lot of Jews, and I know a lot of Jews, and I've always uh, I've always loved them. I've never had a problem with my own Jewishness, which I which I believe continues in certain ways, you know. Right. Um, but I never, I never was at home there. I never was. And that, that may, you can argue that that had to do with the fact that my parents didn't believe in God, and therefore the religion had, had little meaning to me. Um, but whatever it was, I was never at home there and never a religious Jew. I was never a religious Jew. Uh, right. So, uh, you know, I, I just don't know what to say about that, except right. uh, that... As I look back on my life, I know that God was calling me to this, and uh, it has been such a joy and given me such peace and uh, uh, and such realism in my life that um, I can't believe that I was meant for anything else. Uh, do you read a lot of uh, theology or apologetic stuff? I do, yes. Uh, is that your uh, one of your main reading areas, or I know you do politics. Yeah, no, I, 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 well, first of all, I read a lot of uh, fiction and poetry because I'm a fiction writer and I, uh, I read a lot of politics. I, oh, I'm always reading a theological book. I always have, you know, one of the books that I'm reading is always a theological book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll read a little bit of it every day. Uh, and now and then I will actually just take the, take a book and read it. I mean, I've been enjoying, uh, Timothy Keller's books recently and, uh, I loved uh, The Last Pope. Uh, Pope Benedict, I thought was an excellent theologian, uh, even though I'm not a Catholic, and there were parts where I, I couldn't agree with him, but I still thought he was a great genius. Um, and so I, now and again, I will t- that will be the main book I'm reading, but I'm always reading something theological. Uh, for those listeners who don't know your current realities, uh, would you say a bit about um, what, what do you say to those who say you're a Neanderthal Republican right-wing Trump lover? <laughs> 
except for the Neanderthal part. I think <laughs> I think that's pretty fair. Uh, I'm a libertarian, you know, in, 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 on everything except uh, abortion, which I just think is not a libertarian issue. Uh, I'm a libertarian. I, I'm a. I always say I'm a conservative because I'm a liberal. Uh, I want everyone to be free to make his own decisions. I, I really believe that's important. I believe that that's what God wants, that he wants us to be free to make our own decisions even when we go wrong. And and that's what I want. I do not want any president, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, anybody, telling me what I have to think, what I have to believe. You know, if you're a gay person and you want to be in a gay relationship, great. If you're a florist and you don't want to cater the wedding of those gay people, great. You know, you, you're not free if you can't disagree. That's what that's what freedom is, and I don't have to approve of your life as long as you're not hurting any, or abusing anybody. You know, I don't have to approve of it. I don't have to like it. I don't have to think it's holy. I just want the government to leave people alone to do what they do, and uh, without hurting one another. And uh, that just seems to me to be more uh, now a conservative idea. It used to be a liberal idea. It used to, you know, it's what they call classical liberalism, but. I think now it's a conservative idea. We're trying to conserve it from those people who want to come into our homes and tell us we have to think this, we have to say this, we have to use these words. If we don't use these words, we're hateful. And so I, I oppose that. And I think that, you know, a lot of my goals are the same as the left, but I think all the facts prove that my methods are better. So, for instance, I'm very concerned about the poor, but all the facts show that free market capitalism is better for the poor than dependency-inducing welfare systems. I, uh, I very much uh, care about healing racial divides, but everything shows that e pluribus unum, all of us acting under the one unifying idea of America, is more healing than identity politics, which drives us apart. So, you know, call me a Neanderthal if you will, uh, but, you know, I, I just think that that is where the right, the right of it, the moral right of it lies right now. Mm -hmm. Let's just end with one question on... Um what was your evolving view of Jesus over the years? You you seem to have always recognized that he was the center of Western civilization. Yes, yes. Um, that was a key realization for me, that all the literature that I loved, all the ideas that I found to be true, all centered around him like, a, like the, you know, the eye of a hurricane, basically. Uh, so that was important. I have, in recent years, uh, come to read the Gospels as a means of knowing him. Uh, originally, I read the Gospels, well, originally I read the Gospels as li purely as literature, but I, I came to read the Gospels after a while in the way that a lot of church people read the Gospels as a, uh, like an instruction booklet for life, you know, do this, do that. Then when some of it didn't make sense to me, uh, my son, actually, who's quite a brilliant young man, uh, said, you know, you're trying to understand a philosophy when really you should be trying to get to know a person. And I, st I started to read the Gospels that way, and I, that has really changed everything for me. I, I taught myself Greek so I could read them in the original, and I, have, I feel that I've come to know Jesus and what his uh, life was about and, and what his life was like uh, in a much richer way, in a very deeply personal way that I can turn to uh, for all kinds of all kinds of things that support my life and support you know the journey. Um, so it's become a much more intimate, a much more personal thing for me than it was originally. I mean, you start with a character in fiction, you end with a, you know you go you move to a the center of a religion, uh, and then you find that you have uh, you know a, a friend and Lord and Savior. And I think that that's what I I hope I'm moving toward.
do you? I I just thought of something I was going to ask you. Are you? Are are you getting any heat for not telling your father you were going to get baptized? For not telling, I'm sorry. Not telling your dad that you were going to get baptized. Oh no! You know, I was I was going to tell him, and he became ill uh, right after I made the decision. It was his final illness, and I knew he was dying. It would have broken his heart, uh, and so I did not see. Any, I could see why it might be helpful for me, but I couldn't see why where there would be any charity or kindness in it toward him. And um, I, no, and no one's ever said a word to me about it. Actually, oh, it's, it's an interesting question. Actually, uh, I, I, I frequently I, have wondered if anybody would. But oh, I saw, has. I saw one uh, commentary on it. Really? Yeah. They they said I should have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that. That to me is a kind of, you know, I frequently tell people, you know, that even your principles and your morals can become idols, you know, and um, right. there's, it, you know, there's no, I, I don't see where the love is in that uh, right. to make my father, you know, it's not, it's not as if my father would have ever said, oh, you know, slapped his forehead and said, oh, now I see the truth of Christ. Uh, he was not going to say that. I simply would have made his last days on earth an absolute heartbroken misery. Right. And, uh it, I was having a hard time wrestling with that when I thought he was going to be alive. Mm-hmm. It would have been a difficult enough thing to do when he was going to be alive, but knowing it was the last six months of his life, it just would have been an act of absolute cruelty, and, um, right. I, you know, I would never have done it. Um, well, listen, let's draw this to a close. Yes. Is your book doing well? Sorry? Is your uh, book doing well? Oh, yes. I, I mean, the, I, I'm sorry, you're cutting out a little bit. Did you ask, is the book doing well? Yeah. Yeah, I, the, re, the reactions to it have been amazing. I mean, just amazing. And I've never gotten such gratifying reactions in my life. People saying that it solved, you know, untied a knot that they were stuck on. It solved the problem. It helped them beat back the kind of general narrative that there's no God. And, uh, yeah, I think it's been, it's been doing quite well in terms of sales. And I think uh, the reactions to it, I mean, if you look on Amazon, it, it has something well over 200, close to 300 uh, uh, reviews, and it's still got five stars. Uh, so it's really, it's really done oh, nicely. I'm happy for you. This has been Jim Beverly talking to Andrew Clavin. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.